0: This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And good morning, good afternoon. Welcome, welcome. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host here for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. As I like to say, we're here for you. We're here for your pets. We're here to answer any questions you may have, anything you want to talk about. And uh, easy to reach us. Number one, the good old-fashioned telephone, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. Or better yet, join us here live on Zoom. We got a Zoom channel for you. You can get you right here with your pet. You can join us, have your camera, have your phone with you, your laptop, whatever, however you want to join on Zoom. And it's the best way to do it. And uh, just go on to petliferadio.com, click on shows, go to Ask the Vet with Dr. Jeff, and you'll see a Zoom link waiting for you there. Click on it, join us. We'd love to have you uh, be part of our show. And um, of course, we want your pet with you. So if it's a lap pet, have him or her in your lap. If it's a big pet, have them sit next to her. If it's a really big pet, you can be sitting on the back of your pet. And um, you know, like one of those, <laughs> you have a Mastiff, you have a Great Dane. Come on, are sure they can handle you. So. Anyway, as uh, many of you know, I will start uh, while I get you geared up, you know, to to make that phone call to to join us here live on Zoom. Um, We'll I'll break the ice with a little um, perusing the news from the American Veterinary Medical Association and the American Animal Hospital Association um, to help you basically um, know what's going on in in our field, in the veterinary world. So, again, what would our show be like nowadays the last year without a COVID update. So we have two. In the United Kingdom, in England, there were two recent human-to-cat transmissions. Sadly, and I, you know, I don't want you to get the wrong idea here that it's becoming more virulent. It's really not. Cats can be exposed. They can get it. It's usually mild. But one was a little kitten, and the little kitten developed a pneumonia, which would an older cat would have handled. Sadly, this uh, poor kitty was not doing well, and they elected to put him to sleep. The other one was a six-year-old, and he just had, uh, is more typical, a very mild upper respiratory, lasted a couple of days, and he's fine. But the more important thing here is to let us know to sort of strengthen the point that animals can get it from us. So if you are someone around the house, you know, is COVID positive, you want to be really careful. And um, which brings me to uh, the other story, very similar. There were in Washington State, this was a study done by the University of Washington, is that there were 23 dogs that tested positive for the virus. Now, interestingly, they usually don't have signs. So they really become carriers. But what we once thought they were like inert, like it was not a problem carrier. It was almost like a fomite like the virus hanging on to a, a, a handle at a, a local grocery store. And that's why we were beginning, where they were wiping them down. We were wearing gloves. You know, we were really even more neurotic at the beginning of this whole thing. Now we're finding that dogs can actually get it in their bloodstream. They don't really have clinical disease, but they can potentially then transmit it back to another person. So bottom line is this, that when someone in the house has been or is exposed or is positive to COVID, You want to make sure to really separate yourself from the animals because you can give it to them. That's not the bad thing. The question is, and we don't really yet know, what is the likelihood that an animal then can give it to another person? So therefore, you know, take the safe route. And that is to just minimize, avoid contact, wash your hands before, don't cough on your dog, wear your mask, whatever it is to keep your pets uh, protected. So I thought this story was pretty cool. And that is that at Tufts University, that's a veterinary school in uh, Boston students and one of the professors and students had a project they were working on, and that was to develop a brace to prevent overextension of the fetlock joint in a horse, which possibly had some sort of soft tissue injury. And horses, uh, horses are so heavy that it is very difficult for them with a weakened joint not to exert more pressure on that joint. So they created a brace that prevents the overextension. So it allows the horses to heal First of all, more gradually, putting less pressure on that joint that is trying to heal from the soft tissue injury. And um, so it allows them to gradually return to exercise because it's so important that they keep moving, but we don't want to stress that, that any joint that's injured. So, you know, this is why, and I'm sure you've heard, you know, they shoot horses, don't they? Many times when we have, you know, equine injuries, limb injuries, it's very difficult to get them back to, you know, even exercising the point to become just, to forget the racing, just to, to get back in a farm or, or a, a ranch or, you know, just to have people take care of their horses and ride them and just become sort of more of a pet. So anyway, this is really cool. And just to think that it was co-produced by some students that were like co-inventors with the professor. That's pretty cool. And this next story I kind of liked as well. So many of you might remember the whole Chernobyl, the plant in Russia that kind of imploded, exploded, and for hundreds and hundreds of miles, radioactive material, and it was a disaster. I think it was like 68 or something. Anyway, there were a lot of people that, that obviously were affected. Many people had to, most people left their homes. They, they have like a, a thousand square mile a radius where there's nobody can be. I mean, that's, that's a lot of miles because of this. That's how, how powerful the radioactivity was. Anyway, so there were a lot of abandoned dogs. And those dogs ended up obviously staying around, surviving, clearly. And now, years later, they're, the offspring of the offspring and the offspring are hanging around this plant. Well, apparently, because of the 1,000-mile radius that they're not allowing anybody there, there are guards protecting that radius. And a lot of these guards have taken to these animals, these dogs, and they're caring for them. They're feeding them, even though they were told not to, but how do you resist a poor dog? So anyway, so there's a lot of bonding going on with these guards and these dogs around this uh, thousand mile radius. So anyway, I thought that was pretty cool. I, you know, I don't have one. And I, I'm first to admit, I am not a, uh, I would not be a veterinarian that you'd want to go to if you do have one, but they're. In some areas, and even in California, they're fairly popular pets. And those are tortoises. And um, like my sister had two of them. I mean, one, I don't know. First of all, they grow, grow to many, many years, like even older than parrots. It's amazing how long they can live. So there was a story that had, if you have a tortoise, how do you know if it's sick? They really don't complain. They don't really make sounds. So it's, it's really just knowing your tortoise. So here are some things that were pointers to help determine whether or not you were, if you have a sick tortoise. All right, so certainly behavior changes would be one. So if they're just not the way they used to be, whatever it is. Trouble breathing, that's a biggie. If you could see discharge out of their nose and their mouth and their open mouth breathing, uh, where you, can, you could tell, and if you know your tortoise, you'll be able to tell the breathing is becoming labored. Swollen or closed eyelids. Is another thing to, to watch out for. Obviously, poor appetite. And if any of these, your tortoise should be checked out. And obviously, what you need to do is you need to find a veterinarian. And if, in fact, if you have any exotic animal, and what I mean by exotic nowadays is anything really but a dog or a cat or a horse. Bunnies there would be pretty norm, but like rats, hamsters, guinea pigs, any kind of reptile, snakes lizards, geckos, any of these things, you want to find a vet that really knows how to deal with these animals. And uh, so anyway, because mainstream, oh, birds, birds also. I mean, there's a specialty in birds and, and birds are, I, I mean, there are birds now that are actually more expensive than most dogs. So it's very important to find a veterinarian who specializes or at least is very, very comfortable with these animals. Anyway, mites, shell trauma, interestingly, shell trauma, respiratory viruses, and herpes virus, all can cause these behavioral changes we just talked about. So there are many, many things that, that one should do, one should be aware of if you're going to have a tortoise to um, make sure that they are, and even just basic husband for any of these animals, you really need to learn what habitat to keep them in, how and what they should be. fed. I got a call on AirVet uh, last week about a bird, a cockatiel, and it was on an all-seed diet, which is it's doable, but not ideal. And then they switch because they read something about, and they started going to an all fruit and veggie diet, which also is doable, but not ideal. And you really want to have some sort of combination or getting pellets that have seed in them and just straight bird seed. There's some vitamin issues, vitamin deficiency and vitamin excess issues with just bird seed diets. Anyway, these are things that knowing in advance, if you're going to get a bird, to either just have a consult actually with one of these doctors or get on the online do a lot of reading there's so much information out there bunnies have their own thing you know if you're going to keep reptiles the type of terrarium enclosure the, the heat lamp the hot rock i mean there's so many things to know and you know unless you, a veterinarian unless your veterinarian is very familiar with these you're like your your dog and cat vet then you might be at a disadvantage without finding a veterinarian that is more comfortable working with these creatures and more knowledgeable. So keep that in mind. Oh, this is also, speaking of illnesses and, you know, to go again with horses and horses for a horse vet, I mean, this is really common stuff, but horses, because of their size need recovery time. They say usually about a day of recovery for each day of fever or clinical signs of illness. So for example, if your horse was sick for two or three days, you need at least after they're better two or three days of, of recovery time. But also understand with viruses, they they harbor their viruses for a while. So even though they're now clinically normal, they can shed viruses for up to 20 days. So what is recommended now is that if you have a horse that had a virus, recovered, is doing fine. You still want to isolate this horse from other horses for at least 28 days. Uh, Now, there are some tests that your veterinarian, your equine vet, could run after around 14 days to tell if your horse is still shedding and if not then you'll probably be okay to start having your horse rejoin other horses. But if you're, when in doubt, at least 28 days after your horse is fully recovered. So that's something to uh, also keep in mind. And there were a couple of other stories I found interesting. And this was also interesting, but really cool. And what's so interesting is that, you know, great minds think alike. when, When things happen, oftentimes they happen in groups. This is two completely independent schools, independent studies, that, and pro- independent programs that happened around the same time. One was in Florida, and it was a, a state program that was developed by the University of Florida Vet School, and basically providing pet food, low-cost veterinary care, vouchers for apartment pet deposits. You know, like if you're finding a place, most landlords are going to require a deposit if you're going to have pets. Well, we want you to have pets. So because of what they call anyone who needs assistance because of financial difficulties or... Housing insecurity, I like that term, housing insecurity. They uh, are here to help. Well, while this is going on, interestingly, in Wisconsin, there's a rising number of owners that have lost their homes, pet owners losing their homes. So the University of Wisconsin's Veterinary School, School of Pharmacy, and School of Social Welfare, our social work, um, have collaborated to create a program to do the same thing, provide assistance to pet owners who are experiencing homelessness or financial difficulties. And it's, it's crazy how these two things happen almost exactly the same time. And finally, which is, we talked about this in the House of Representatives. Now it's in the Senate. It's going to be a bill to ban the possession of big cats, lions, tigers, cheetah, leopards, mountain lions, any of those for private ownership, unless you have a particular license. And then also to help ban or stop using cubs As part of these petting zoos and programs for kids because of many difficulties, diseases going both ways. So um, it did pass in the House and most probably will pass in the Senate as well. And then in Ohio, lastly, before we break. In fact, you know what? We'll talk about this on the coming back from the break. So uh, we're at that time. Don't go away. We have some more things to talk about. Plus we're going to talk about, you know, I like to share questions I get on my AMAs on my social media. So when I get a a bunch of questions coming in the same time, around the same time, or even in the same week, I know it's important. So we're going to talk about that as well. And it's about neutering your dogs. Don't go away. Pets are part of the family. Make sure you can always afford the quality health care they need with Easy Pet Check. A nationwide pet insurance alternative, with Easy Pet Check, you'll save up to 75% on all your pet's health care at any licensed veterinarian in the U.S. Easy Pet Check accepts all dogs and cats, regardless of pre-existing conditions. Visit EasyPetCheck.com. That's the letters EasyPetCheck.com. Taking care of your pet can be easy with Easy Pet Check. Take a bite out of your competition. on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On PetLife Radio. PetLife Radio. PetLifeRadio.com pet <laughs> And welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff, where we're here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. Before the break, I gave you a quick tease. Well, two teases. One, that's about something going on in Ohio. When I say well, these are often regional, so you know, it's, it was reported basically in an Ohio publication, one of the Ohio newspapers, but that doesn't mean it's just Ohio. And that is, we're seeing a lot more ticks. And this is springtime where ticks are going nuts. And they have, listen to this. When you think Lyme disease, or when we have thought about Lyme disease in the past, we're thinking Northeast, we're thinking Connecticut, Lyme, uh, where it started. All of a sudden, I don't see it really much here in California, but I will tell you that in Ohio, now we're spreading uh, westward, there were more tick-borne diseases reported. Listen to this, Lyme, there were 3,800 cases of Lyme disease in Ohio this year alone in the first quarter. That's insane. So- we have to learn from this. And and insects, you know, look, let's take heartworm, another one. We really, in, in the West, never had a, a big heartworm problem, if at all. Now we're starting to see it. And it was predicted about 10 years ago that we in California are going to start seeing a year-round heartworm disease threats from a particular mosquito that has adapted to the Southern California climate, Culex quinquefasciatus, or it might be culicoides quinquefasciatus, But anyway... It is a nasty mosquito, lives year round, and we are seeing, therefore, more and more cases. Well, ticks, any of these diseases adapt. So it's the the disease itself, the Borrelia, which is the organism behind the Lyme disease, and the ticks themselves that are carrying Borrelia. It's not just the deer tick anymore, it are many of the different ticks. So the threats are growing. We need to make sure our pets are protected, which in essence will protect us as well. I've known a few people that had Lyme disease. And if not treated early, if not caught, it is not pretty. And the the result of both the cases that I know of were very sad, say no more. So um, anyway, get your pets on flea and tick control. There are some great products out there. The new class are called isazolines, things like uh, Cordelio, Nexgard, Brevecto, um, Semperica. And you're gonna read things because online, Is they sensationalize things about these seizures. Well, first of all, it is believed that those dogs who are getting seizures were already predisposed to seizures because of epilepsy or some other condition. And it can exacerbate the seizure if there are some dogs. And being on one of them doesn't automatically include all the others. So it's not really a, it's the individual drug, not the class, the Soxazelene class. My dogs have been on Brevecto for years now, and I've never had a problem. I got five dogs. So I'm not worried. And speak to your veterinarian. Some of the existing products out there, the ones with imidacloprid, the ones with fipronil, the product themselves are still very safe. They're not nearly as effective. We're seeing what we call resistance amongst the fleas and ticks to the active ingredients Uh, either imidacloprid or fipronil. So even though safety-wise, it's not an issue, but you're not going to get the same control. So I would speak to your veterinarian and get some of these, uh, the newer class of medications that seem to be much, much more effective. But anyway, take advantage of it. You know, in the last week or two, I've gotten two questions about neutering dogs and behavior. And it's so interesting because they both came in around the same time and very similar stories. One was about litter mates. And I, and I can relate because when we got, I think it was my second or third Labrador. He was, first of all, magnificent. He was a yellow lab. Uh, it was our third lab, but it was our, our I think it was our first yellow. And We got them locally. I was the one that set up the breeding with a veterinarian who had the male. And then one of my clients at the hospital I was working at had the female. She wanted to breed. She had a yellow female. I knew my good friend where I was working at his equine facility when I was a pre-vet. He had this magnificent yellow named Monty. So... We did the arrangement and she had puppies. And since they were all local, we had some play dates going for several, several months. We would get them together. Oh my God, You know there were nine in the litter. I think we got together with four or five of them. Anyway, so at first they were just playful. They were running, they were having the time of their lives. And as they got older, hit six or seven months, eight months, we would get them together and they wanted to kill each other. So what happened is now you have, oh, by the way, important to note, All of the nine, nine yellow puppies, all males. There was not a single female in the litter. So we're getting all these male dogs that are reaching that point of sexual maturity. And guess what? They weren't so friendly anymore. They wanted to kill each other. So kind of put that in the back of your mind, because then the second question came up. I just answered it actually this week. That um, a lady writes that she had two puppies, one seven months, one nine months, and they they, they loved each other. They were they were kind of near each other, obviously in age, they're very close in age, and now they, they are just wanted to attack each other. And she wanted to know if neutering would help. So you know, early on, when pre sexual maturity. When you see dogs growling, mounting each other, it's all about dominance. There's no sexuality involved in this. They are you know, basically trying to establish who's the boss, who gets access to mom and dad first, who gets the toy, whatever. And that's how they, they test each other. They well, play growling. They're going to mount each other. I'm the boss. I'm the winner, et cetera. Um, but as they get older and as they reach sexual maturity, now we're dealing with something totally different. This is a dominance, more of a sexual dominance, where they want complete access. Forget the toy. They want access to, to the female. So the same dogs that were wonderful playing with each other, having a blast with each other, may actually become rivals. And I mean sexual rivals. So now these dogs want to kill it. They don't want to be so friendly anymore. They don't like the other one. And therefore, one of the things, of course, I recommend, and we've talked about, you know, neutering, which I'm obviously a big fan of, and, you know, the time of neutering. And unfortunately, you know, we have this battle because early sexual maturity can hit at, you know, seven, eight, nine, 10 months, 12 months of age, for sure. But we don't want to neuter these dogs until they have reached that full sexual maturity. And I even say for a male, especially large breed males that are prone to bone cancer, the study I'm referring to is the study of Rottweilers, where there was a 65% greater incidence in long bone cancer as adult dogs in those dogs that were pre-puberty neutered. So neutering early, which we often recommended years ago and still can for small breeds. Uh, For small breeds, one of my criteria is once all the adult teeth are in, because these dogs are more prone to having what we call retained deciduous teeth. I don't want to neuter before all the adult teeth are in, because then we may have to anesthetize again a month later to pull baby teeth that didn't fall out on their own. That's kind of stupid, since anesthesia is the most dangerous part of any of the procedures that we do, almost any. Therefore, I wait for small breeds. I wait for all the adult teeth to come in. But the big breeds I want to wait until they're fully sexually mature. So I'm pushing off neuter to at least a year of age, maybe, as I said, large breeds, a year and a half. But if you have two large breeds, two intact males, and you're waiting for both, you could have a little bit of a disaster. So uh, those you have to, if there's one smaller than the other, whatever your criteria you're going to use, or get them both from the nine or 10 months, that's still probably good enough. They are sexually mature at that point. And, uh, and And do the neutering uh, at that point to, eliminate or it's not going to completely eliminate. They're going to have the time to reestablish their hierarchy within the home, even after being neutered. And also, by the way, don't think I'm going to neuter my dog on Tuesday and we're going to be fine on Wednesday. And it's not just the healing process. I'm talking about the healing process might take a week or two. I'm talking about the effect of testosterone in the body and the behavioral effect that that testosterone is causing for the dog that may not dissipate for 2 months 6 to 8 weeks I tell people so just keep that in mind that even after the surgery you still have to be very careful and including let's say you, even if he's it's only one dog and it's springtime and the females are coming into season into estrus and you have a dog that you're wanting to avoid that he's old enough it's ready to be neutered you neuter him fantastic ah now I'm home free no you're not home free not necessarily at all not for six to eight weeks or sometimes longer. So some of these responses become learned. So you need to be very, very careful with your dogs. They still are going to want to roam. That fear, that anxiety of them being hit by a car, attacked by another dog, depending on where you live, a coyote. Just be very careful with these dogs, even after surgery. For the same token, when we have a female that is spayed and you want to uh, go ahead and, Obviously, you're spaying for the right reasons. If she is near estrus or the hormones have already started, the pre-estrus hormones, which lead into estrus, then she is going to be very attractive to a male. And even though she probably won't stand for the male, the male is going to try. So you need to be very careful with these females as well, because now their uterus is a short, blind-ending uterus, the body of the uterus, and that can be dangerous. So you just got to be very, very careful with these dogs. Anyway. That's so all we have time for today. And thanks for joining me here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vet with Dr. Jeff. We would like to hear more from you, so anytime you want to drop me a note at petliferadio.com. Or you can reach me at just um, Jeff jeffairvet.com. Or if you haven't logged on, log on to Airvet and um, you could talk to me or one of our many, many doctors if you have any questions or problems. But better yet, save your questions if they're just questions. We'd love to have you here live on Pet Life Radio here on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff every Sunday, noon in the East, 9 a.m. in the West, and whatever time it is in between. You can reach us here live. We'd love to have you as guests. So we will see you here next back time, next back channel here um, on Pet Life Radio. It was Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. Have a great week, everybody. And again, if you have questions, send them to me so we can answer them live on air. And better yet, as I said, join us here as guests next week or any week thereafter. We'll see you next week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.